Welcome to Foss and Crafts, a podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together. With my co-host Morgan and my co-host Chris. So we had an entirely different episode planned for this week. Oh, well, there's been some news that's affected the free software world quite a bit, I think, and we we kind of wanted to cover it. Um, I guess I'll just say what it is. Specifically, the FSF board kind of surprise reinstatement of Richard Stallman to the FSF board. With absolutely no transparency or forewarning. Right. Which is, I think, well, it's a large portion of why I think people have been so surprised and the reaction so strong, though there's more than that. But we wanted to talk about this, but we we spent some time thinking about how we should talk about this. and, And we came up with something specific So we decided to frame this within uh, the idea of governance more broadly, and specifically um, governance, leadership, and the idea of um, founder syndrome. Right. So one reason why we thought about doing this is to provide some framing, particularly for people who are kind of trying to reason through the, the situation in many ways, I've thought about this episode as targeting uh, kind of myself about 10 years ago, especially, you know, I think as somebody who who wanted to be really thoughtful about this, but didn't have exposure to everything I think available to come to the same conclusions I have today. Yeah. We also wanted this to be an episode which stands beyond this moment. So this week... It's a timely topic, but we want this to be something that someone listening to it in a year or two or five could still relate to. And um, even though it seems like we are repeating this issue every year or two or five, we wanted it to be more broad. Right. And that's also because this pattern arises in a lot of places that there are governance concerns, not just, um, I guess, some of the big institutions in this space. But, you know, just kind of all over the place. And so this kind of discussion, I think, hopefully, is pretty useful anyway. So we're not going to go into governance in the uh, sense of going into detail on bylaws and different organizational strategies and stuff. Although we do acknowledge that uh, people have choices and make choices when they are setting up um, organizations and governance. Right. So there are kind of different scales of governance and government. I mean, it could be as simple as me just thinking, you know, what color should I paint my living room? It doesn't seem like there's much of a governance question to that at all. If it's, well, especially if I'm living alone and it's, you know, kind of my private decision, then I I would think I'd be able to paint it whatever I want, right? And if it's just the two of us, then Then we have a discussion. Well, we'd probably come to consensus between the two of us, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you're deciding what to paint the exterior of your house, then potentially, um, is there a homeowners association that gets involved? And that could be a problematic thing of its own. The homeowners associations are frequently problematic, but it's certainly an example of an externalized governance institution. Yeah, and painting uh, the exterior of your house or, say, putting up a fence or something like that Even though it's on your property, you might be uh, beholden to zoning laws uh, according to your local government. Right. So also 
organizations have different kind of bylaws. Yeah, so there's lots of different uh, types of organizations that have rules and regulations and bylaws and such. So, for example, universities have pretty famously complex governance structures. And the difference between governance and government can sometimes be uh, a, a bit difficult to distinguish. I think most of the time people today think of the term government as referring to things like nation states, right? Um, but um, Or, you know, local municipal governments and so on. But they, that, that's not necessarily what the term government means. And the difference between those can can actually sometimes functionally feel much smaller to the participants involved, even if it's something that, you know, if you if somebody bought up all the roads and those became private roads and then people wanted to protest on them, the rules of that private corporation might seem very similar to the um, the kind of freedom of speech concerns as if it was all public roads, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in all of these cases, we have dramatically varying levels of bureaucracy. I mean... If you listen to our episode on our organizational system, you know that we have a homebrewed uh, currency system in our house for paying out, for doing chores, and paying for snacks. And that's a fairly low level of bureaucracy because it's just me and Chris, um, all the way up to nation states or even international organizations. You can say that our own household in some ways is a governance thing. I mean, if I decided I just wanted to paint one of these walls without talking to you about it, it may create a government crisis. Morgan's face is getting very upset, especially because I'm going off script here, mentioning painting a wall without talking with Morgan at a time. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, the Chris but, enjoys making me annoyed on podcasts. I don't enjoy making you annoyed, but it does happen. You do uh, annoy saying Morgan's face is getting angry at me for some reason. That's true. That does happen. Um, so, but the, the, the point here is that you and I do actually spend quite a bit of time kind of gathering consensus and there's a sense of what is and isn't allowed, even if that's informal, right? Mm -hmm. It's really, when we're talking about governance, we're talking about people being able to create, um, structures formally or informally to be able to collaborate with them. Does that seem about right? Yeah. So, um, we're going to talk real quick about the framework of governments or governance. So first, you have the governed, which are just the populace of whatever governance or government you are talking about. Yeah, who who is subject to the rules and participation. That's right. Uh, and then you have the leadership or governing body, which is typically the people who are kind of setting the direction and also setting the tone of where things are going to go and also what's allowed. Yeah. And then you typically have a sets of rules or laws that uh, that dictate how, what as you just said, what's allowed or uh, how interactions happen. And you usually also have some sort of process to change or select laws or leadership, um, which are usually their own rules, basically rules for making rules. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, Things cost money, so you have to have some sort of funding structure. So uh, in larger scale governments, that's typically taxes. In organizations, that could be dues or um, the cost of rent rent or products or something like that. Right. And um, there's also somebody, oftentimes there's some sort of execution enforcement of those rules 
um, actually being in an action, right? So um, the, I mean, so sometimes that's actually, you can see that as either being something like um, the combination of uh, a judicial branch or, you know, a police force, or, you know, even the um, execution of the um, various code um, can mm-hmm. sometimes be perceived as that. And you can also perceive um, this as being sometimes, you know, the clerks and some organization, the staff in general, who are kind of carrying out the whims as set by this organization in theory. Or me giving Chris a face and Chris knowing that within the governance of our household, <laughs> that won't fly. Is the, is the face a execution enforcement of governance? That possibly. Um, so, uh, yes. So I guess the, the last one, big thing here is it's not really a component of governance completely as much as it is um, a major component by which we think about whether or not things are really functioning, right? So the question is the consent of the governed, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and, and how, how, how can we determine whether the consent of the governed is being fulfilled and what, what route by which the um, governed can give or change their consent? The first way is, to what extent is it participatory? So how much involvement do the governed have in the state of their government and to what extent does it need to be participatory right so um you know for example um how much choice do i have as in terms of um you know i can vote right voting is one popular way in a democracy literally popular to be able to change things but likewise um you know even bringing it down to our household right the the conversations that we have are part of this being participatory and, and mm-hmm. consent of the governed, right? Yeah, and in our household, neither of us just, like, makes unilateral decisions. That's right. Without consulting the other one. That's right. Um, and then, also, to what extent do you have the ability to leave or join, etc.? So, in a certain sense, the right to freely immigrate and associate kind of the most important issue with the whole framing of this topic right i mean because if you have the right to kind of freely associate um join and leave that actually creates a very powerful counter pressure it can both create a pressure to set up hopefully good participatory systems um and if the governed don't feel like they have their their um consent or needs held they can choose to go elsewhere and that can have significant effects, yeah, right? It's a good check or and or balance for the government if your entire governed leaves because you're not consulting the wishes of the people. That's right. So I think in all of these things, um, there's kind of different stories to what the organizational structure is, right? So um, you could establish a private company that's you know just you and you're you know just maybe you're selling statues out of your basement and maybe the governance structures are not very significant there um and then you know it's also different if you're like you know the head of a family-owned business that also has employees that that could be very different from say for example a movement or a nonprofit, um or even like a deal between you and your next door neighbor mm-hmm. another barometer by which to test whether or not this government or governance is functioning properly 
is the leadership held accountable to the same rules as everyone else, or possibly even stronger? Yeah, so it's true that some leadership positions permit extra privileges to perform duties, um, but when it comes to upholding principles and ethics, in general, we hold leadership to a, a higher standard than other governed members. Yeah, so for example, if we go back to the idea of universities, even on like the micro scale of a classroom, the professor has um, more privileges due to their position, due to their leadership position. They can access and change students' grades, and they have access to more information. But on the other hand, uh, educators also have to take mandatory ethics training and sign documents to make sure that they are not going to abuse that power. Mm-hmm. So I think um, even in free and open source software projects, um, there are varying kinds of levels of projects, right, or of governance, right? So like, for example, um, I might create a small project with a Git repository. Maybe it's just, you know, a couple hundred, couple thousand lines of code. Um, it's just a weekend project of mine. I throw it up somewhere and, you know, it's the governance concerns of that are not very large. Maybe I'm not even paying that much attention to it. Somebody cements me a patch, I merge it, or maybe I sometimes forget and neglect. And I would like to do well there, but the governance concerns are not very wide by that point, I think. Mm -hmm. And then you have medium to bigger projects that have more of a user base, maybe, and require slightly more maintenance. And in a lot of those, you still have either a single developer or a smaller team, and you end up with the BDFL, the Benevolent Dictator for Life. Right. So... That's a model that doesn't necessarily scale. Um, and there are multiple kinds of maintainership roles with BDFL, you know, the Benevolent Dictator for Life kind of being this usually self-appointed kind of long-running thing. And we're, we partly use it as a kind of knowing joke as in terms of um, referring to maintainers of all kinds, sometimes as BDFLs if they've been around a while. Yeah. But, but as someone who comes into the free software community, the first time that Chris just casually mentioned that someone was a benevolent dictator for life. I was horrified by that term. Yeah, so that's true. It, and it's it's a it's a system that doesn't necessarily scale sometimes, right? So, mm -hmm. but what the solution is, you know, to when things much get much larger can be pretty variant, right? Yeah. So one thing about FOSS is that legally, walking away is possible and maybe even encouraged. So it's, yeah, definitely possible if you have a license that permits anyone to, you know, copy, modify, and, you know, share those those changes and run that code. If you've got those properties, then it should be possible for, you know, someone to fork it if they feel like something is not going well. And this also permits communities to explore a lot of different governance processes which might even be particular to their project or community, right? So maybe this project is actually, the community in general seems pretty happy with the maintainer that's been around for a long time, doesn't really feel the need to question about what the structure is, and that can sometimes be okay, but then you can also have things as varied as like, you know, Debian's much more democracy-oriented approach to appointing things, which has also its own challenges and, you know, varying levels of drama that can come out of it, right? Mm-hmm. 
And while walking away and creating a fork is always possible, it might not be desirable. For example, the GNU Emacs versus X Emacs split. And a lot of times it just fractures the user base and makes things way more complicated and stressful and maybe even political. Yeah, political in the sense that you are now kind of vying for personality figures and policy choices and stuff like that that might not have been on the table previously and i think that political is a pretty good choice at er, least if we're at least if we're talking about this in the case of governance versus governments yeah yeah um but but the real point here is that that provides an opportunity for counter pressure Mm -hmm. right so if things are not going well or even if something's just abandoned there's a way to continue things or push for change Mm -hmm. basically yeah, so we're going to be spending a good chunk of the rest of this episode talking about the Free Software Foundation. And the FSF isn't really a FOSS project per se, but it is an organization that's claiming that it's the philosophical heart of the movement and that it is a movement in the first place, oriented around freedom. So when you orient around the term of freedom... And then, like, let's even jokingly throw in the term benevolent dictator for life again. That might indicate that we've acknowledged kind of a joke of where maybe sometimes things might end on the other end of things. But there's there's a phrase for sometimes what happens with this type of thing, especially with the people who set things up. So what what's the name of that phrase? So we're going to talk a bit about Founder's Syndrome, which is, quoting here from Wikipedia... The difficulty faced by organizations, and in particular, young companies such as startups, where one or more founders maintain disproportionate power and influence following the effective initial establishment of the organization, leading to a wide range of problems. The syndrome occurs in both non-profit and for-profit organizations or companies. And in this episode, we are primarily focusing on non-profit and primarily on one organization the free software foundation right so um let's the wikipedia page also has a nice list of symptoms so why don't we kind of switch back and forth reading some of them off Mm -hmm. the organization is strongly identified with the founder and as a result sometimes believed to be related to the founder's ego another symptom obsessive leadership style compared to a more standard behavior also autocratic decision making And higher levels of micromanagement by checking on employees or colleagues' subject matter of work instead of maintaining and involving the overall company picture. And we didn't include this one on our bullet point list here, but I think it's also important to say that a lot of times the founders of organizations have a hard time once the organization inevitably has to move with the times. Founders often have a hard time moving with it. Yeah, I mean, you set things up in this way, and it it really seemed like you had a very particular reason for it. Or a vision, even. Or a vision, and it can feel like somebody's tearing down your hard work by something that may be really in earnest, trying to make it something positive by by shifting things. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to bring this back to um, the situation with the FSF and RMS. Um, And in some ways, it's kind of complicated, and it's even kind of complicated for me personally, I think. Have we actually said RMS's name in full yet in this episode? Uh, Richard Matthew Stallman. I think Matthew is the middle name, but I... I... I feel like just Richard Stallman is fine. Okay, Richard Stallman. I think I also want to back up here because um, 
there probably are listeners who are listening to this point of the episode who are already very defensively on their haunches of like expecting us to tear down RMS and everything that RMS has done yeah. historically. Or dogpile on RMS. Yeah, that that's the perception. But I think it's worth saying here that I still think RMS has done a lot of useful things. And especially as in terms of laying the philosophical foundations of free and open source software, I think it's good to not just basically um, take that all as um, as it is necessarily and not kind of think further on it. But so I think probably at this point, there are quite a few people who are expecting us to just be tearing RMS apart and saying he hasn't done any good work or anything like that. Um, and that's not what we're aiming for, right? We're, we're willing to acknowledge and actually are want to acknowledge that he's done useful things in terms of philosophy and technical contributions and so on in the free software movement. Don't think that needs to disappear. Exactly. But, um, and, and to further illustrate that, I actually want to give some of my backstory and why um, both the free and open source software movement is very important to me personally and um, how I viewed Richard Stallman as somebody who I viewed as kind of, you know, a hero and somebody I, I really had and still do within certain scopes continue to respect a lot, right? So, mm-hmm. and and part of the story there is I was kind of involved in free and open source software kind of tangentially, you know, like some small ways um mainly as a user so when chris and i met in college we went to a um at that point it was a campus of depaul university called vera but before that it was an independent liberal arts college called vera college and while we were there depaul decided to shut down the campus and we were involved in a somewhat prolonged battle with the university governance to uh, keep that campus alive and functioning. And it was really important to me, especially because of the ways I think I felt like I had struggled at various previous points in my life to feel like I really had a community and was accepted. Um, Barra really meant a lot to me. And when the Keep Barra movement which was an activist movement run by um, uh, someone who had a background in nonviolent social change. When we got as far as we did, and it looked really close, but then everything fell apart. Partially because the government of the university did not listen to the will of the governed. Yeah. Um, turned out to not work for them, but that's an aside. Um, they, they did not manage to make the money off of the property they thought they were going to make by selling it. But nonetheless, um, I was really depressed and really kind of losing hope altogether in life. Um, I don't want to get to too dark of a place because I know that can be hard for people listening to stuff on the show, but I was really having a, a hard time finding meaning in my life. Um... And finding the philosophy pages of, you know, the GNU project and reading um, the GNU manifesto and stuff like that 
I started to get really energized about something that was a hobby of mine, about that being a real political movement that had real meaning and this idea of freedom and really liberating people with computers, which are something I enjoyed. Um, and that that really felt like a real sense of purpose. And the story even, I know there are problems that have been pointed out with the story of the MIT AI lab and, and everything that happened with that, but um, especially criticism of Stephen Levy's uh, hackers, and we'll point to some of that stuff in the show notes. But that story really, it really touched me. And the way that that um, book ends basically is with RMS in tears because the um, MIT AI lab closed and he felt like the, um, the hacker community was gone and um you know we're gonna find a new way to um create an alternative is something that happened wasn't even said in the book right it was just kind of like it ended with rms and tears in the book and then kind of reading the narrative of like reading the GNU manifesto and like we're gonna do something about this and create a movement and create software and also write philosophy and do that stuff that felt really powerful for me Especially the narrative of finding a new community after the community that you lost disappears. Yeah, and it brought a sense of meaning and purpose to my life. And that also meant that I really personally felt connected to the narrative that was described of Richard Stallman's life. And I actually still do feel that connection to that story, Um, you know, no matter what other things there might be around it right so that was your initial um your initial kind of hero worship stage of your relationship with rms but then later you actually collaborated well um yeah so i mean i ended up so when i was in college still i worked on one of the um political cartoons that appears on stalman.org actually and I, i actually think it it came out um i'm actually still proud of that political comic but um i and i and it was actually on governance. It was actually about governance. It was actually about negotiating a trade treaty. So it is it is pretty on point. And, uh, and we'll link it in the show notes. We'll link it in the show notes. And my, and my dad actually has a framed copy of it in his house. And he's really, you know, he loves that comic. Um, and um, working on that comic, I, I was like, yeah, I'll help on it. Cause I, um, but that turned out to be really hard. Like. Mm-hmm. And Morgan and I knew each other at that time, and Morgan saw me really struggling. And you actually, you had a commentary as after I think I was going a little bit through all these suggestions of revisions. And, and what was it that you said again? Um, well, my mom at the at the time was a graphic designer who worked with clients. And I think I said to Chris something along the lines of like, look, my mom uh, is a contractor with clients, and... There will always be clients that you can never please. Like nothing you ever do is going to be perfect. Right. But in all fairness, it took months, but RMS... Wait, months of what? Months of drawing, right? You know, like in going back and forth and just like small increments of like changes, right? To be able to get there. But I... Wait, changes and edits that were dictated by RMS. Well, I mean, yeah, so RMS was writing the comic and I was drawing it, right? And RMS kept wanting changes. And so I made these change after change after change. Um, And it was, RMS had a very specific vision and I 
added my creativity around it, but it was, you know, RMS knew what he wanted and, and, you know, basically I did that, but we did push it out and, um, and I still did feel proud of it at the end. And many of those changes were useful. Um, but it, it was exhausting, but in many ways it might've actually just steeled me for the future of like, Oh, future interactions with RMS. I already know that it's going to be like this. So I have that expectation. So therefore, um, I was ready for it and probably more than many other people are when they have their initial encounter with RMS, I think. Yeah, but this is also the don't meet your heroes uh, advice, right? Like after you met and worked with Stallman, a little bit a little bit of that polish was gone because you realized that he was a difficult person to work with. Um, so we're going off a of script here a little bit, um, but I think... I'm sorry, we talked about the don't meet your heroes thing, but I realized we hadn't put it in the script. We talked about the don't meet your heroes thing, but the removing a bit of polish, it's not the language I would have chosen. Um, okay. but, but I, I, we can edit it out. No, it's fine. I think that it's actually fine to have this back and forth in there, right? Like it's, and maybe it's, um, maybe that's actually me still feel, feeling um, defensive for the position that I still, um, the things that I do still respect RMS for, despite also thinking he should not be in a leadership position mm-hmm. um the and, and another example of where um there are fonder experiences and memories is when i was in college i uh, also i made my first ever code based patch to a free software project and emacs ha- ships with since it ships with everything else a version of tetris you can play you can type you know meta x or alt x and type tetris and hit enter and Tetris shows up and you can play the game and you can, you know, it's the usual Tetris. The pieces are falling. You rotate them and place them. And I found out I could hit pause and I could still, the pieces wouldn't descend, but I could still rotate, move them back and forth and place them. And so I was like, oh my gosh, how long has this patch, but this bug been in there? Oh, it's like a decade. I can't believe it's been in here so long. So I got really excited. I made a patch. I submitted it to the list and I was like, you know, um, I can't believe it's been in here this long and I found it and blah, blah, blah. And RMS replied with this email which was like a very classic rms joke which was when you cheat at solitaire who are you cheating anyway thanks for the patch and like i love that story and i still love that story Mm -hmm. um and it's possible i think for me to still fondly remember and have that story while still also considering the leadership issues that that exist here right Mm -hmm. I, i don't need to remove that story but it does it does sometimes make it a more complicated story to tell, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, anyway, I guess over time I kind of got closer to knowing a lot of the people in the free and open source software world, and I actually became friends with quite a few people at the FSF. And kind of you know, going to Libre Planet every year, I'd go and I'd always hang out at the office, and I'd meet various staff members, and we'd go out to lunch, and I'd you know um, crash at people's houses in the area, and, and all that type of stuff. And it that really made a sense of close connection for me and you know media goblin was um a, and is a GNU project and i used to also do things like end of the year ascii art for the fsf and stuff like that and so in many ways i saw the free software movement and i still see the free software movement as kind of being my home and community and it also meant the organizational structures that rms founded also 
became kind of like second homes and family and, and friends to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my experiences meeting at RMS are not quite as robust as Chris's. And um, it's there's definitely an argument to say that they're not nearly as significant as Chris's experiences, but they're probably closer to the average FOSS person. And so I have met Richard Stallman in person and been introduced three times. And he has never once acknowledged my presence. Mm -hmm. Each one of those times I was standing next to Chris and Stallman continued to have a full conversation with Chris after Chris introduced me or sometimes paused the conversation to introduce me and he didn't even look in my direction. Mm-hmm. Which, while there are way more problematic interactions with RMS stories out there that are not my my individual story, I think that it's it still didn't give me a good warm feeling about the community of the free software uh, movement or the leadership of the free software movement because I just felt entirely dismissed because I wasn't as interesting or important to rms Mm -hmm. yeah i think that is true that that's probably closer to the average person's introduction and it it also partly leads to why i think so many people have this kind of bristly reaction to rms and you know for a long time i would be like well you know that's kind of like rms that's kind of how he is but then you know the more time you spend getting close to this thing so you find out some more serious and more disturbing kinds of interactions that have happened. Um, And uh, in some of these coming out, what I've seen a lot of people say in response to articles which have criticized RMS, being in a position of leadership, right? Or asking, you know, it shouldn't be the case that RMS is in this position of leadership, right? They, some of them, a lot of the responses say, well, this particular article um, it got something technically wrong, right? And it's kind of like the, um, I think there's this line in Futurama where like the lead bureaucrat is talking to another bureaucrat at the head bureaucracy office. And the bureaucrat says, that's technically correct, Conrad. The best kind of correct, right? And technically it's true that this, um, that some of the things that people point out that they are wrong, but it's missing the wider picture that there these things are still happening and there's a lot of other examples, right? Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And we've kind of framed this uh, trying to be sympathetic to the fact that for a lot of people in the free software movement, Richard Stallman is a hero. And we don't necessarily want to take that away. And heroes typically have tragic flaws. That's like part of the formula for a hero. But at least narratively, at least narratively, when we're talking about fictional characters. However, Richard Stallman has so many tragic flaws. It's not just that he puts himself and his own needs above everyone else. It's not just that he's a free software purist to the point that he pushes people out of the movement that aren't already inside the inner circle. It's not just that he is a serial sexual harasser of women. It's not just that he has an abrasive personality or an inability or perhaps unwillingness, it's hard to actually say on that, to adapt to social cues. And it's not just his refusal to adhere to a code of conduct, etc. 
It's that all of these things combined, from purely an optics standpoint, are not good for the free software community or image, especially if you're trying to attract diversity and inclusion initiatives. I think that the word optics there for you and me means more than just like, oh, how does it look externally? It also means the perception of somebody who might come into the movement but decides to leave because of these kinds of experiences. Um, And that doesn't mean that he hasn't done good things or we should throw out the work that he's done. He's been foundational. On on quite a few things. And and from a technical and philosophical perspective, there's still a lot of useful stuff there to reference, even though referencing it then becomes harder because you're not quite sure whether you're referencing just that material or you're also encouraging... um, some of this other stuff, that, that all gets complicated. But I think from our perspective, it's a question of leadership. Yeah. So to me, and to be fair, I am someone who has not been in the free software community as long or as involved as many of our listeners, and definitely not as long or as involved as Chris here. But I find it ironic that a movement that is inherently about freedom seems to be suffering from this quasi-dictatorship of RMS. And maybe dictator could be a bit strong despite our joke of the BDFL, but ultimately I agree that um, the community as a a whole has also suffered under having also what's kind of seen as a philosopher monopolist, right? Like there are these, Stallman has come down with, you know, it's like we have a movement by which one person has kind of come down from the mountain with this set of rules that we all abide by. Um, and where did he come from those idea- up with those rules? We haven't really given the tools by which participants might be able to consider or reconstruct them. I mean, that's partly why we did the ethics of agency episode mm-hmm. was to think about how can we rederive some of these ideas from first principles or at least reanalyze them, basically. Yeah, especially if you're putting all of your ethical eggs in one basket And that basket has some pretty glaring ethical holes in it to begin with. So um, we do believe that people can be multifaceted, but let's talk about some specific examples that question the leadership situation. And, And before we kind of get into these individual ones, I think it kind of comes back to, um, this quote, uh, David Thompson, who's a former, FSF employee and and a number of the people who have raised concerns recently have been former FSF employees, especially um, who, but this, this quote he posted really stuck with me because I think this has been the experience of people who really did not want things to end up coming to this point and spent years trying to prevent things from coming to the point that they did, like really spent years trying to stop it. And so the quote was basically this, everyone at FSF, RMS, please don't step on that rake. RMS immediately steps on that rake. FSF leadership, there is no way to prevent this, right? And that's an expression of this frustration that it's like, it's, you know, like the tragic hero or character from, you know, from, from fiction, you, you have this person that you would really like them to succeed from various perspectives. And you see this thing that's in front of them and you know they're walking towards it you're just like oh no i really hope they don't they don't do that but whack you know like over and over again it's this stepping on the rake type thing 
There are some resources that have talked about some of these things. And we're not going to go very far into detail on the examples because there are many, many of them out there. And we don't want to talk directly to other people's experiences. But other other places have done a pretty good job of summarizing them. So previous podcast guest Sumana made a great blog post uh, about it um, and the EFF made a good statement and both of those give a good summary of what's happened in the past with links and receipts mm-hmm. and we'll post those and a few other things in the show notes mm-hmm. but but let's let's talk about a few of um, the things that I think come up and make things clear from a governance perspective there are two related and similar uh examples from Libre Planet that indicate either safe space or code of conduct violations and RMS's response uh, implying that his position of power made him exempt and, from and, those rules. And just for clarity, Libre Planet being the FSF's conference they run every year and everyone has to agree to the safe space policy when they join Libre Planet, right? It's a requirement yeah. for everybody. And this is the issue when you have someone who is the founder and president of an organization that is throwing a conference, especially when it is um, one of the biggest, or probably at least, probably even the biggest in the United States free software conference. I'm not sure it's the biggest, but it's certainly one of the most influential, especially around issues of philosophy, ethics, and the practice of Mm -hmm. user freedom, right? So why don't we actually just quote directly what he said in this talk? So So in response to to set the scene, the presentation was on ethics and philosophy um, and the difference between freedom and liberty. And... In the Q&A session, the time had run out and the volunteer who was moderating the room, I suppose, said that the time ran out. And in response to that, RMS said, I'm the president of the Free Software Foundation, so I don't have to follow the rules. But anyone who wants, who wants to go, please go. And we'll link to the actual video recording of this in the show notes if you want to watch the entire interaction. So to, for me, so there's a few things here. For for one thing, people had said they felt that RMS had violated the safe space policy in other ways other than this. But, um, and we're, we're concerned that, you know, the way that he was, you know, if you know RMS, you know how he can interrupt people and so on but also in the category of many other things that have been documented, people were concerned, is RMS going to be held accountable to the same rules that everyone else? And here is a specific incident where RMS, the president, the head of the leadership of the Free Software Foundation says, I'm exempt from the rules because I am in a position of leadership. And in general, this 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 is shocking to me, right? Like, you know, a lot of the stuff that RMS has brought his stuff on the foundation of 
you know, he's talking about human rights. He's talking about freedom. He's talking about how, you know, um, like invoking things like the Magna Carta and things like that about like, you know, not having kings and stuff like that. And here he's basically like in a very kingly manner, like, you know, I'm, I'm the head, you know, I'm the king and there, therefore I'm exempt from this, which is, it's shocking in a system we're in a, a it's movement. It's built on freedom. It's built on freedom, right? Like, what the heck is happening here? And then the other important problem with this interaction is the reason that he needed to break the rules and assert his authority was because the presenter had made a comment about how open source projects are following ethical thinking when they make some concessions. Um in order to increase their user base. And he had to assert his authority so that he could inform her that that is not an ethical decision to uh, to sacrifice principles in order to uh, increase the number of users. And, and actually, let's also throw in here about the other code of conduct violations RMS had in multiple of the speeches he gave at the end, especially when handing out the awards to, in two prominent cases, made an uncomfortable sexual or perceived a sexist joke that people were like, you know, is this, what what's going on here? Are those types of things subject to the code of conduct uh, sort of the safe space policy? And RMS had explicitly made an argument in this same conference that He's not subject to the rules. And mm-hmm. that got many people concerned, including myself and yourself, yes. right? So there was a letter. Wait, wait, before we get to the letter. Okay. There was another similar uh, example the following year at Libre Planet. That's right. Where um, RMS rushed to the front of the room and grabbed the mic. I think even in the middle of a presentation, not even at the q I wasn't there for this, but I heard about it afterwards. And the, there is not a posted recording about this. Yes, there, there, there is no video evidence that we can find online of this one. We, but we've heard about it from multiple, multiple eyewitnesses. Right, and he and somebody in the audience announced that they said this is a code of conduct violation. That you know you're running front, you know blah blah blah, and RMS dismisses it. Right. For the same reason as the president of the Free Software Foundation. You know, he's just, I don't know what the exact words were, but they Because was we defini- don't have a recording of But that. it was definitely the case that he ran, that he, he, you know, ended up taking over things. Somebody specifically called it out and he dismissed that uh, things as if it didn't apply to him because he was, you know, because he was president. Mm-hmm. And that that's concerning, right? So, and actually in between these two years where this happened is when the letter got sent, right? So, um, and Mo- Morgan and I had both signed this letter. Yeah, the, this was a letter signed by people who had either spoken or keynoted in the past at Libre Planet, uh, basically saying that... Uh, well, why, don't, why don't we just read it? Ashish okay. Laroya posted the actual letter to yeah, his blog that we sent to the board. And it was, Dear FSF Board... We write to you as former speakers and keynoters at Libre Planet. We are concerned that the code of conduct for the event is not applied evenly, and in particular that capital O officers and capital BM board members seem to be exempt. 
This creates an intimidating and hostile environment for attendees, speakers, and potential future participants who hear that unchecked harassment is allowed at the event. The situation is not good for the future of the free software movement. We are writing because we are reluctant to participate in and promote an event where speakers or audience members may be subject to verbal or even other types of harassment. Can we count on the FSF's board of directors to direct staff to apply the code of conduct to everyone at LibrePlanet without exception? What steps will the FSF take to ensure that this is the case? We look forward to your reply and hopefully being able to promote and participate in LibrePlanet 2019 without the reservations and misgivings we currently hold. If this remains unaddressed, many of us will not submit talks and we will make, uh, make this letter public. Oh, I guess... Maybe this did actually happen after the second incident. I don't I don't remember for certain. But we did have exchanges basically in relation to both yeah. of them. So there was a pretty long gap. And I don't remember the exact gap off the top of my head at the moment. But between when we sent this letter and when we got a response that we thought was sufficient. Um, and... Because of that, by the time that we got the response, the call for participation uh, in Libre Planet 2019 had already lapsed. So there were... There were a couple of people who ended up participating, but also um, it, it, it was disappointing that it took that long. Um, but it was, it was good that we did get a, a response, but um, there was a, a, a problem that happened... After that, after all this happened, the board agreed, okay, yes, everybody's held equally accountable, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they're um, in including RMS. So in their response, the board said that if RMS or another board member had a code of conduct violation, then another board member would step in, but obviously that's not a sustainable plan, right? Unless there is always another board member present throughout the whole conference in any room that RMS or other potentially um, problematic people are. Yeah, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to make happen, to say the least. But um, but at least there was that positive response as a you know yes we're going to do that. Um, but um, there was. Um, Another incident that uh, ended up happening um, at Libre Planet that, um, as far as we know, there's not public documentation of to a large degree. There's a small amount that's been said publicly, um, but it's well known within people who have kind of worked closely on free software leadership issues, basically. So, However, we're going to just make it clear that we've heard this from someone who heard this from someone. So at this point, it's hearsay. Um, to some degree. I mean, we've heard it from multiple people. but the... We've heard it from multiple people who were dealing with the aftermath of the situation. Right. There hasn't been a first-person published account at, at the moment. Mm -hmm. that, that's the real key thing. But the So we're acknowledging that. But for me, this issue really makes everything clear, right? Like, what happens is... With the board having told RMS explicitly, look, you're you're also subject to the code of conduct, and also um, that means you also can't you can't ask women out at Libre Planet because there's a there's a power imbalance there. Mm -hmm. Well, my understanding is 
RMS asks for where the boundary of the conference is, invites a woman outside of it, and then asks her out. And that's really troubling. Because technically, he did not ask a woman out at Libre Planet. He asked her to cross the street. Or or walk right outside of the boundary. The, the exact details of that are not completely clear to us. But what we do know is that this was... And this was... Un, this ended up creating a lot of difficulties even within, I think, the leadership at the FSF dealing with this situation, right? The, 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 the reason why it's so obviously a problem and why it really sums things up for me is that it's as if RMS wants to prove that he is above the policies and restrictions being applied for everyone that's supposed to apply mm-hmm. for everyone and he um and he and he's like trying to poke at it and sure letter of the law might not have been violated but spirit of the law clearly is mm-hmm. being violated and well it's also calling into question whether or not the laws or rules are like it's basically poking fun at the laws and rules there right it feels like it at least it, yeah. it feels like it right like it feels like it's a kind of like a you know f you to the the, you know this this process right and and that's really upsetting to me because that that's and so there's a lot of documented patterns and problems around mm-hmm. RMS's behavior around women especially but also just the way that he responds and treats to people and stuff like that but RMS really has high requirements for everyone else he participates and interacts with very high requirements. And he makes a, a lot of rules and asks people to use specific language and specific terminology, and he requires all of that. So why is the leader of a movement who has all of these requirements trying to find out how to find an exemption for something that was set up to be able to bring people into the movement, to mm-hmm. make them feel safe? That's upsetting, and it should be upsetting, and it should be especially upsetting that it is happening from someone in a position of leadership. Yes. And, um, and and we're not going to go into any more specific examples of sexual harassment or interpersonal conflict because those are out there. You can read the first person res- accounts. We'll on link the to them in the show notes. Um, yeah. And those aren't our stories to tell per se. But. Here, when we're talking about governance, as we've chosen to do as a focus of this episode, this creates a serious doubt in leadership for me, right? And it's an example in a string of examples, but for me, it's really poignant. So former guest of the show, Sumana, um, put out a really good article in my view called Not the First Time We Tried, FSF, GNU, RMS, etc. And I like the title of this because... For a lot of people looking from the outside, it looks like a bunch of people suddenly ganged up on RMS, right? But in reality, for years, people have been trying to prevent the rake from hitting us and everyone else in the face, right? Like, you know, like, oh, don't, you know, like, don't, don't step on that rake, RMS. Yeah, privately, following the appropriate procedures. Right. And um, someone has, uh, has a really wonderful section of her article, um, and we're just going to quote it. 
I contributed, in good faith, to efforts to address the unfair, inconsistent treatment of Richard Stallman regarding Libre Planet safety standards and in the GNU maintainer procedures and documentation policies. Others did similarly in several other areas. I joined my fellow free software advocates in doing this not just because of the individual incidents that free software advocates have been reporting for many years. I did this because of the meta-behavior of Stallman's claim that he is not subject to the same rules as everyone else. End quote. So, again, does this mean that RMS has done nothing of value? No, of course not. We are not trying to, and we do not want to, erase his contributions to free software. Right. But it does question whether or not he should be serving in a leadership position when he believes that being in a leadership position makes him exempt from the rules rather than held to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is a huge problem. It's especially a huge problem when you it's happening in an organization that claims it's you know it's about freedom and it's a movement Mm -hmm. that that should be troubling yes agreed so um after a scandal that was was in fact largely misrepresented in um in the media RMS resigned his position as president of the Free Software Foundation and from the board um, in 2019. And and by misrepresented, what we're doing here is we're saying, yeah, some of the articles that quoted RMS in this particular incident, and I don't even want to talk about the incident, mm-hmm. um, is they misconstrued some things and... We can acknowledge that, but say, actually, this still points to some of the stuff was misconstrued in the article. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make this not a giant rake that RMS was walking towards mm-hmm. and, you know, hitting himself in the face and by proxy having ghost rakes hit all FSF staff members in the community also in the face. Yeah. You know, um, that doesn't make it not the case. And, um, and and just because the straw that broke the camel's back was, in fact, paper and not straw, that doesn't discount the entire existing pile of straw that's already there. Right. That's problematic. Right. Um, so, yeah, there are challenges. You can poke at the kind of misconstruing of things, but I feel like that's kind of the, well, that it's technically incorrect. Mm-hmm. And therefore... It removes each and every other example that people have brought up, right? And that that seems that seems untrue to us. Right? Yeah, and we have spoken to friends in the free software community that have worked closely with RMS and have told us that they've been working privately with RMS to try and resolve these issues before they become a public. Uh, issue so it's not like all of these things just sprung up out of nowhere Mm -hmm. so finally let's get to the reappointment to the board which was last weekend right Um, at at the 2021 libre planet by all accounts otherwise an excellent event which the fsf staff worked really hard on Mm -hmm. and by the way 
as usual, it, it's not that like there are a lot of people we know at the FSF staff, and it, and I don't view it necessarily as their their fault that these things are happening. It's mm-hmm. the RMS kind of sprung this on everybody, basically at the at, at Libre Planet. Yeah, and it's the second Libre Planet uh, in a row where the staff had to do a completely remote um, conference during a pandemic. So anyone who is doing conference organization during a pandemic deserves their props because that is hard. Yeah, um, but basically during his presentation, he kind of apparently went off script from whatever was actually planned, even by the board, Mm -hmm. and just suddenly said, hey, guess what? I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the FSF. I'm coming back on the board of the FSF, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not, and I'm not ever leaving again. Basically. Well, he said he wouldn't resign again. He wouldn't resign again, right? Which basically means he wouldn't leave on his own. Um. So to many of us in the community, that felt like a sucker punch, and it really, really felt like it was basically the trope of. The king was wrongly dethroned. The king has returned. Long live the king. So I want to acknowledge, I think, the emotional reason for this decision. I think for a good number of people on the FSF board, they are friends with RMS. um, And they did feel that RMS was misconstrued, mischaracterized, and that it was unfair. And therefore, he should be brought back. And they wanted him back in. Because he's stubbornly principled in ways that can be useful at many times. And he was, he's been around since the beginning. But I think that's also an emotional decision on part of the board that um, partly because of the friendships of some of the people on there, that it was hurtful to them that he had, that he was brought off of it, basically. However, um, that's also discounting the friendship and friendships and participations that were never realized because um, RMS's behavior put them off of the free software movement entirely. Mm-hmm. So from it basically looks like even from the board members' perspectives, the um, announcement was basically untimed and off script. Um, however, it should have been pretty obvious at the very least, like a read of the room should have been able to indicate that this was going to be a bad idea. Like it it shouldn't like, and in fact, we know that the board was warned because one of the board members, Kat Walsh posted publicly. I tried really hard Mm -hmm. to tell the other board members this was going to go really badly. And it was not able to convince the rest of the board. And And a post from the uh, free software foundation, social media accounts also told us that, no Libre, and I'm quoting here, no Libre Planet organizers, staff, or volunteers, speakers, award winners, exhibitors, or sponsors were made aware of Richard Stallman's announcement until it was public. So it sounds like most people were blindsided by this announcement. Mm-hmm. So we're, we will link to threads of people covering that, including former staff members talking mm-hmm. about it. But I think... The sad part here is that um, the sad part is partly even seeing and actually knowing so many people who have worked at the FSF who have been friends of mine and me being really excited about them working at the FSF. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great. This person's so great. And it, the organization's going to really go in a good direction with them on board and them 
really having been interfered with and so on and then burning out over and over again even with people who i think like me and my experience beforehand with the comic and everything had equivalent levels where they're like okay i know this person is going to be difficult and usually knew that that person was going to be difficult but i think were really dispirited by the situation that they actually experienced so i i think you know, a number when we say the FSF, we should also realize that it's complicated as in terms of the execution of the FSF, that this um a lot of the staff members actually really have tried very hard and the experiences of many former staff members speaking about it mm-hmm. um should should speak to that, I think, really. And the FSF board and the FSF staff, uh, there's not always transparency between the two halves mm-hmm. of the organization. And I think that really, the really painful part about all of this is that this was basically kind of a surprise and secretive reinstatement, which undermined trust from the community in what should have been a time of healing. And the community was asking for more transparency and instead was given this new decision in a completely opaque way Mm -hmm. that, again, from a read of the room, it should have been pretty clear that that was going to be a bad idea to just surprise everyone and unilaterally kind of have this thing happen. And mm-hmm. yes, maybe even a number of staff members were surprised by how it ended up going, but it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. So there was an open letter uh, to remove Richard M. Stallman from all leadership positions in the FSF that was published this week. And it was written... Uh, collaboratively by a group of free software advocates. At the time of this recording, there are approximately 2,750 signatures on this letter, including my own. And both from individuals and organizations. Yeah. And so this letter is an expression of frustration about uh, leadership within the FSF board and founder syndrome and RMS's behavior overall. Yeah. And from my perspective, the fact that the letter took off this far is because of the amount of frustration over the founder syndrome and that this was an issue of governance failure. Right. And The fact that the governed rebelled is a pretty clear indication to me of that. Yeah. And um, we've had some people remark, and if you went and looked at that letter, you might notice that I signed it and Chris did not. And there's multiple reasons for that. I signed it, obviously, because I agree with the bulk of what was said in it. Um, And I am definitely on board with the frustration and a feeling of disappointment with the board's actions and with RMS's reinstatement into a position of leadership. Yeah, and my lack of signature on it, which might change, part of the reason I didn't sign it was because of other things happening in my life and having the difficulty of being able to get to it and also because of... um, Initially, it was partly because I had doubted whether or not a another letter was going to do something because I felt kind of frustrated and 
despondent over the fact that we had taken all these actions before. Um, you know, I had been on these letters and so on that were trying to ask the board to do things and so on, and it felt like nothing was happening. And I was just like, well, I don't know that any change is going to happen. It feels like at this point, the FSF has decided what it wants to be as an organization, at least from the top of the leadership. And I doubted that things would change. But clearly, the number of signatures on the letter reflects a change in that. And I might add my name to it. And the other thing is that um, I, I there were some specific wording in it that I've been a bit uncertain about. One of them is the particular way in which it the the letter um, it's it's really a matter of phrasing, and this might be a technically correct or technically incorrect type thing, right? Um, the 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 letter itself says um, describes RMS as misogynist, ableist, transphobic. Um, and etc. And I think personally, I sometimes prefer when we talk about um, the actions of a person being transphobic, ableist, blah, 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 and stuff like there, um, rather than the person. But it is true that this is a series of patterns, right? Yes, this is like there's a definitely a pattern of behavior. There is a huge pattern of behavior. And so I understand the way that that phrasing was written. And I think um, to a certain degree, when letters like this are written, they are also written in shorthand, which obviously, even at the moment, I'm not good at because I end up being incredibly verbose about everything, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows. Um, And I think that in general, though, I I really do agree with the letter and especially the, um, the disappointment it expressed of the governance and um one other uh caveat and again this might be a minor issue was the um the particular phrasing about you know withdrawing from projects that are run by the fsf or rms but there's been some follow-up and and there andy wingo wrote a blog post also supporting the letter but expressed well that sounds hard for me to do because i'm also a gnu project maintainer and there's been some follow-up that the authors of the letter kind of was like, you know, this is us expressing the extent to which people can, not saying that by letter writing this letter, you're, you're absolutely removed from it, too. And um, it's the specific wording, it says, we urge those in a position to do so to right. stop supporting X, Y, and Z. And that in, in a position to do so was basically, if you're able, then do it. And if not, then... You know, that's understandable. And I think I also need to um, admit here that me signing this, I had less to lose from any possible backlash than Chris or other people might. Because I am not currently a contributor to any GNU or Free Software Foundation projects. So it doesn't harm me to say that I won't contribute to them. Mm -hmm. But there is quite a few things that I think are... Um, are really, really good about this letter. I especially like the paragraph that says, we, the undersigned, believe in the necessity of digital autonomy and the powerful role of user freedom plays in protecting our fundamental human rights. I mean, unsurprisingly, um, I agree with that in a lot of this language. Um, uh, you know, we believe in a, the, a present and a future where technology empowers and not oppresses people. And Something that I think is is important about this letter that I think is being lost on some of the critics of this letter 
is that this letter is not a letter from people who are opposed to free software in the general case. Maybe some people signed on to it because they're being opportunistic and they have that, but the majority of the people whose names I've seen on this letter are people who really care about these issues, really care about free software, and even often have been really close to the FSF and really want things to work. And many of those people that we've talked to have told us that even as they care about RMS as a person, but this letter is fundamentally about governance. The main ask of the letter is a call for the removal of the entire board of the Free Software Foundation because the board has enabled and empowered RMS to abuse his power. And so fundamentally, this letter is recognizing that the problem here is, to some extent, of course, RMS, but also the governance structure that continues to allow these behaviors. Yes. Um, And I think that was the right ask to put in this letter for asking for the removal of the entire board. Now, the board actually put something else out, but we'll get to that in a moment. Yes. And was there a way to do something akin to what the board did? Maybe. Um, the There apparently were some conversations about, you know, maybe we try to do a more careful return of RMS to the community, see where people feel comfortable and kind of consult the community as yeah. in terms of bringing RMS back in. And I think that the people wouldn't have it. The I, I don't know what extent of things would have worked by this point but at least we wouldn't have seen the massive rebellious outcry because people felt like they weren't being listened to or or held part of something when they were told this was a community movement Mm -hmm. i also think that like if they had gone about it in a different way if they had done a gradual reintroduction of rms in a way that first acknowledged his past issues where he apologized for the past transgressions. And then him and the FSF board spoke to measures that would address these concerns for the future, then they wouldn't have gotten as strong of a response. We talked, um, Chris and I talked uh, a little bit earlier this week about how Initially, it was a conversation about not wanting RMS in leadership positions. And now, if you read that letter, it even says that, you know, RMS shouldn't be part of the community because it was such a breach of confidence for, I guess not confidence, such a breach of trust for people who were already hurting. And, you know... I have mixed feelings about that particular um, level of saying the community, um, but I also understand why somebody might say it. I kind of feel like it's really up to community by community, mm-hmm. but within the free software movement. But I can understand why somebody would say that also if they feel like no matter where this this goes, we keep experiencing these same problems. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, I do feel like, again, with the kind of people have the freedom to associate and dissociate. There is a certain amount to which you have to let communities kind of make those decisions, but it's at least, you can at least see it as kind of this, I don't know, this is, maybe this is awkward wording, but I'm going to say an enormous self-own 
right? To escalate this, to self-escalate the situation to that level, right? Mm -hmm. A conversation that was previously about leadership to the, you know, community level. That's, that's a a big jump. It it is. But I think, I mean, obviously I think so because I signed the letter, but I think that it's warranted um, because it's clear at this point that it personally to me, it feels like his resignation was treated as a timeout to placate the people who were upset. And then when the board decided that he had been in timeout long enough, they let him out of timeout without really any repercussions, which is an incredibly simplistic way to summarize this. Yeah. But I mean, that, that, that at least seems to send a strong signal about the ability to trust RMS with leadership, but also be able to trust the FSF's current leadership. And that's mm-hmm. why I think that the part of the, the letter that I really do agree with is that um, there has to be a major leadership change, mm-hmm. right? About like something has to be given that says, um, we're going to, we're going to give you trust again. If the FSF is going to work. And I'm not even sure if it can happen at this point. It was mm-hmm. such a violation of trust. It was such a sidelining of the entire community after all this stuff. Again, in what was supposed to be a time of healing. Mm-hmm. So, um, despite Chris and other people's reservations that signing another letter would do anything at this point, the FSF board released a statement. Oh, that kind of hurt. The, uh, the, Sorry. it just sounded like I was completely, I was, I was depressed, right? That was what it was. Oh yeah. It, it wasn't, I, I think that you had a valid argument that thinking that signing another letter would do any good. And it's not, that wasn't a, that wasn't an argument against you or your logic. It was an argument against believing that the FSF board would follow through this time considering the mediocre lackluster responses in the past okay and the fact that this action that we were signing a letter against was in violation of the trust that was barely regained when they called for rms's resignation yeah part of the reason i also didn't sign the letter is just that this is emotionally just a really difficult week for me to be able to deal with this because there are just a lot of other things happening in our lives and it's just like but i mean like we don't get to choose the timeline by which difficult mm-hmm. things happen right yeah um but anyway the the real thing here is that the fsf board did produce a letter uh yeah and... fairly quickly considering that it took them months to respond to our last letter it was at least weeks um to the first time that we ended up having things but um so within a week this time, uh, and Chris and I are going to read this response and just switch off paragraphs. Okay, sounds good. Um, so on Wednesday, the FSF Board of Directors committed to a series of changes related to organizational governance and the appointment of members to its Board of Directors. We will adopt a transparent, formal process for identifying candidates and appointing new board members who are wise, capable, and committed to the FSF's mission. We will establish ways for our supporters to contribute to the discussion. 
we will require all existing board members to go through this process as soon as possible in stages to decide which of them remain on the board. We will add a staff representative to the board of directors. The FSF staff will elect that person. The directors will consult with legal counsel about changes to the organization's bylaws to implement these changes. We have set ourselves a deadline of 30 days for making these changes. The board will meet again on Thursday, March 25th to consider further decisions. So this seems like a welcome change as in terms of, you know, the like this, this set of things that was said, it points at something that's being taken seriously mm-hmm. as in terms of the community response was so overwhelming that they had to do something. Yeah. And, and it speaks to some of the issues that we've uh, addressed already in the episode. So the, you know, some transparency between the board of directors and the staff would be great. Yeah. If it, if it followed through, um, it doesn't get rid of the entire existing board like the letter um, asked for. However, it does provide a more transparent and formal process for vetting new board members and is saying that existing board members will also be subjected to this if they're going to remain. It kind of feels, though, like this is something that would have been really nice to see at pretty much every prior stage yeah of things and we don't really know where this is gonna go yeah at this point we've been fighting this fight for years and there's good reasons for the public to be disappointed well there's also so i also want to speak to another thing here before we continue this is also going off script but um we've had a number of friends who have remarked before with quite a bit of emotional pain actually that a lot of the stuff that looks like it happened with the reactions from the community if you're not very familiar with kind of i guess i hate to use a phrase but kind of like inner circle something or other right but like if you're not if you're not you haven't been really close to a lot of the dialogues that have been happening within free software leadership, you might not have seen that people have been asking for to address these things privately for years and trying to do it privately for years. And therefore it looks like suddenly people are coming out of nowhere and trying to upend everything. Whereas and attacking someone that you've, that has been one of your personal heroes for a long time. Yeah. Including one of my personal heroes. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and Whereas people really have been trying to get change for ages, and that's not really been publicly seen or known. And so to I think a lot of, a bunch of people on the internet, it suddenly seems like there's this massive conspiracy. But that's not representative of all of the attempts that were tried in private for ages. Mm-hmm. And following the proper protocols for change based on the current governance structure. And if following the proper proper procedures isn't working, then something else needs to be done. Seems like a good time to revisit the framework that we set up at the beginning yeah. and kind of recap. So, um, uh, talking about the people involved, we have the governed, which in this case would be 
the free software community, assuming that the FSF is upholding its narrative that it represents the philosophical heart of the movement. Right. And that doesn't necessarily mean that free software is only within the FSF. Mm-hmm. Community can be much larger than that. But um, the FSF is claiming that role in that story. So um, I, I completely agree that, that that's the scope of the government there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's also the leadership and governing body. So you could say that that's the FSF board, the president, uh, and etc., Uh, And to some extent, the staff. To some extent, the staff, though. um, Though it's been made very clear how little control they have over this broader issue. I think the staff is about to show up in a moment. So let's continue. (laughs) The sets of rules or laws. So for governing the FSF, this is mostly opaque. Governing free software in general, thankfully, is another matter. But it also varies from project to project. We have kind of a core set of principles that are out there in the open, mm-hmm. though I do still think we've been vulnerable as in terms of not having had a clear way of analyzing and redevising those principles in a way that kind of wasn't handed down from on high. Um, but I think that's another episode. I think we should do a whole episode about redevising or analyzing the free software principles from first principles, but... Another spoiler. Yeah. So also, um, uh, is it my turn or your turn? I don't remember. Uh, It's my turn, I think. Okay, go ahead. Um, A process to change or select laws or leadership. So in this case, the recent statement gives a a process to change um, the existing status quo, but at other times, I don't know, the FSF's... uh, rules are somewhat opaque to the community and they did just give another process by which they will be exploring things yeah and making things more transparent um hopefully we'll find out and then there's also the execution and enforcement of governance so in many ways i actually see this as the fsf staff right Mm -hmm. so like the fsf staff is the one who is carrying out a lot of the work that's happening here but also This is also the leadership saying things, but in a certain sense, it's also kind of the community itself ends up carrying out some of the ideals that are partly given um, and and coordinated at the FSF. Um, Yeah, I don't know, but I I think that this is really the place where I see the FSF staff being kind of the the, Mm -hmm. having their main role. And we talked a little bit about. Prior to RMS's initial uh, resignation, we talked a little bit about how that can be problematic to have the staff enforce the rules if the person who is breaking the rules is the president of the organization or a board member and therefore is their boss. Mm -hmm. And there's also the funding structure. So, you know, in this case, the funding structure is like, an associate membership, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or, um, but it's also like the organizational funding that comes into the FSF, which makes yeah. up a significant part of their budget. And, and orga- funding drives. But there are also, if you see, a lot of those organizations sign that letter. So I think the FSF, you know, there is a big question about what will happen there. And, you know, it could be that people who are really feel that RMS is, was unfairly treated 
rally around and manage to make up that deficit, but it will leave a very changed membership in its mm-hmm. wake if that's what ends up happening. Because this this partly also determines what kind of people show up and and want to to be part of things, right? Yeah, and I think it's worthwhile to note that we personally um, have no present plans for renewing our membership based off of this most recent betrayal from the board. Um, and then we end up with consent to the governed, right? So we have, to what extent is it participatory? Well, I don't know. What, what extent does it need to be participatory? I mean, at least as in terms of reading the room, that was a massive failure of participation. There's mm-hmm. also the whole associate members versus voting members versus everything else. And I don't really know what the right structure is for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually, uh, I think that those things are horribly difficult to figure out right. And no perfect set of bylaws is going to protect you. Yeah. And the consent of the governed in the case of the letter, at least, um, theoretically had some impact with the board releasing that statement uh, stating that they were going to make changes in the way that members of the board were elected and retained. However, um, we have yet to see if that pans out. Well, and that speaks to the other half of the consent of the governed, which is the ability to leave and join the right to freely associate, right? Mm-hmm. So that the letter in many ways a lot of people feel like I have expressed, you know, well, this is like, it's forcing the FSF's hand, it's blah, blah, blah. But also people are expressing their freedom to choose whether or not to associate and expressing mm-hmm. their freedom of speech. Yeah. So we debated a lot whether or not we would do this episode and record this episode. And doing so has been a lot of emotional labor. And we've had conversations with many of our friends in the free software world over the last week, just all of us trying to process this new information and how we were feeling about it. Um, and to that end, uh, I want to thank Mike Gerwitz, who took a uh, specific time out of his schedule to talk with us and do a temperature check on basically the, the approach we tried to take in this episode. We tried to be thoughtful about the particular structure under which we went about things here. There has been a lot of coverage about RMS's personality and his behaviors that are really important and really worthwhile. Um, but and, there's also been a lot of coverage of things that are really non-issues to talk about. Like, we aren't here to reshare that toe video yeah. that everyone talks about because isn't RMS weird? That doesn't hurt anybody. But to us, we're part of the free software movement because we believe in the ideals expressed about freedom, about a better world for everyone, and we really mean for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you build that kind of world? What is the shape of that world that you are expressing, wanting to build, etc.? And if this is 
a movement about freedom and human rights, then the way that we construct and perform our roles within that movement have to reflect those ideals and those ambitions. Yeah, and we have to do our best to make that community and movement welcoming to to everyone. To everyone. Mm-hmm. And in if it was any other member of a, of a community in any of your individual projects or whatever that was just repeatedly violating your code of conduct with sexual harassment claims or interpersonal conflicts, then they would be either reprimanded or removed from the community. And I mean, I think that's part of the thing is a lot of people for a long time have made a special exception for RMS. And I understand some of the narrative And I've participated historically in some of that narrative of RMS is an unusual person with strange personality uh, components. And that's partly how we even got the free software movement is is thanks to all that. And um, but there's also. For me, this isn't just about Richard Stallman. This movement should not just be about Richard Stallman. So. This has been a reasonably difficult episode, let's say, and also I think a reasonably difficult time. And um, I think that sometimes these difficult things also happen when the world can already be difficult for people. And that's mm-hmm. the case for us right now. And it's probably the, true for a lot of people listening. But Well, and a lot of times discussions like this and looking at larger frameworks around it is a good way to delineate paths forward. And so we hope, even though this was a difficult topic to do in a difficult week, in a difficult year, in the middle of a pandemic. We hope that there will be something useful about this where even beyond the current moment, that there is stuff to talk about. And we don't know where things are going to go, but... We'll see, I guess. Yeah. So uh, if you have stuck around this far, thank you for listening. And if this episode was too hard to handle, then that is understandable. Yep. Um, And other than that, I guess. Bye, everybody. Yeah. Bye. Thanks. Foss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. It's hosted by Morgan Lemmerweber and Christopher Lemmerweber. The intro music is composed by Christopher Lemmerweber, meaning myself, and Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show. The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project, and is waved into the public domain under CC01.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information. You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts at octodon.social, on Twitter as at Foss and Crafts, or you can email us, podcast at fossandcrafts.org. We also have a chat room. Join our community, hash Foss and Crafts, on irc.freenode.net. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash C-W-E-B-B-E-R. That's it for this week. 
Until next time, stay free and stay crafty. There was concern. Do, do we want to rephrase that so that it's not interrupted? Yeah, sorry. I just wanted okay. to be yeah. technically correct.